Good morning, everybody. Are you glad to be here? Third service. This third service is the rowdy service. Come on, somebody. Yeah. This is a service where you guys have already slept in. You're ready to go. You're ready to praise Jesus in this place. Ready to make Jesus famous in this place. Look at your neighbor. Say, neighbor, get ready. Look at your other neighbor, the one you didn't choose, your second choice. Say, I'm ready. I'm ready. You guys ready? Amen. We got a great passage for you today. Welcome. We're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 9. My name is Mike Wittig. I'm the pastor of student ministry here at Bethel Church. And last week, Pastor Steve was here speaking through the first part of chapter 9. Who was here last week? You remember the long white shirt? Yeah, right? Um, That was last week. This week, we're going to pick up right where he left off. We're going to finish off chapter 9. So we'll be in verses 11 to 18. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. And while you're turning, maybe you're wondering why there's a bookshelf on the stage. Did anybody wonder that or do you just think it looked nice? This is from my office. Um, the reason this is here is because it's, an, it's a visual aid, it's an illustration. My dad and I uh, talk a lot about books. He's a reader, I'm a reader, so one way we connect with each other is um, if I read a good book, I'll let him know, Dad, this is a great book, check it out. And oftentimes, he'll buy me a book for my birthday or Christmas that he read that was really good. Well, 10 years ago, my dad comes to me and he gives me this exact book right here. <clears throat> and he says, Mike, this book is awesome. It's going to help you. It's really going to impact you. This is a must-read book. Have you guys ever had anybody give you a book before? Maybe your mom. Did you read it? Did you? Usually people give me books, and unless I'm really inspired to read it, it's a big commitment to to read specific books. I'm very choosy. So he gives me this book. He tells me I got to read it, and you know what I did with the book? Guess. Yeah. Oh, that's going to look great. Right there. And for nine years, this book that he said is a must read. You got to check it out, Mike. This is, and I trust my dad. He's always giving me good recommendations. Still, for nine years, it sat there collecting dust. And then a year ago, for some reason, I had heard all these podcasts with great leaders and they were talking about their top 10 best books. And a lot of these guys kept referencing this one book. It's a leadership book, and they're all like, you got to read this book. It's a must-read. So after hearing all that, I remember thinking, I think my dad gave me that book like nine years ago. So sure enough, I went downstairs into my study, and there it was, collecting dust. So I took it off. I was ready to read a book at the time. I took it off and dusted it off. I hadn't moved it, I don't think, in nine years. I dusted it off, and I began to read this book. And sure enough, the book was awesome. The book was powerful. It was so simple, yet elegant and insightful. And it really met me right where I was at the time and really impacted me. And I was thinking about this book, and and I read it a year ago. I would contend I'm a better man a year later having read that particular book. Now, every book for different people are different. But for me, this book met me right where I needed to be. Now, here's the thing. For nine years, I had the book. I had access to the book. The knowledge and insight I needed was there. It was available to me. But what I didn't do was actually take it and apply it. I had access, but access does not equal application. You guys see that? Observing wisdom is not the same thing as living wisdom out in your daily life. And in our passage, Solomon's going to talk about wisdom. 
Wisdom versus folly, wisdom versus strength and might. He's going to call us to value wisdom, to esteem wisdom, to not just observe it, but to apply it in our day-to-day life. And here's the good news. This is third service, so I've already preached this twice. And I'm telling you, there's some good stuff in here for you. This is going to bless you. Look at your neighbor and say, this is going to bless you, Christian Arnold. This is going to bless you. You guys ready? He's going to call us. Solomon's going to call us to apply wisdom to our life. So we'll be in chapter 9, verse 11. We're just going to read through and talk through it as we read. You guys can follow along on the screen or in your Bibles. Again, I saw that under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. He's stating here that the mere possession of strength, of speed, of insight, of knowledge, of cleverness is not enough to guarantee success. Time and chance happen to everybody. When he says the word chance there, the the Hebrew word is pega, and the only other time it's used biblically is 1 Kings 5.4, and it refers to, in that passage, adversity. So time and adversity happen to everyone. You can be as wealthy as a millionaire, It doesn't make you immune from hard times. You can be as smart as Bill Gates, and adversity still comes. Time and chance happen to us all. Money, brains, power, they do not shield us from pain and misfortune. None of us are immune. He's going to build a case here in verse 12. For man does not know his time. And that's a really great reminder for us. We just don't know When hard times will come. If you're going through a good season right now, praise the Lord for that. We have 86,400 seconds in this day. Will you spend one of them being grateful to God for the good things he's given you, for the blessings he's given you? We're so prone to focus on our burdens, but to take in our blessings, we don't know how much time we have left. No man knows. Every day, every second, every breath is a gift. Come on, somebody. This is the amen service. I forgot to mention, you guys feel free to say amen, shout me down, say preach it, say that's all right, say my wife needs this, I wish she was here, whatever you want to say, all right? But every second, let's live lives of gratitude to God. Like fish that are taken in an evil net, And like birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of man are snared at an evil time when suddenly it falls upon them. So he's piggybacking off the previous verse. He's reiterating that hard times come to all of us. Adversity comes to all of us. Life could be going great. Things could be moving along really nicely. And one phone call wrecks everything. Hard times come. We cannot predict adversity, but we can prepare for it. We cannot predict it, but we can prepare for it. We can train for the trial before it comes. If you're not going through a trial, now's the time to train. Train for the trial before it comes. Two quick ways, side note here, two quick ways in which we can train for the trial before it comes. We know adversity is going to come, that's what he's saying. How can we prepare? Number one, we can build into our faith. Build our faith We can put our trust in something beyond the sun instead of under the sun. Put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, which by you being here this morning, you're making investments into your faith journey. You're investing in your faith. That's a great decision. Build into your faith. 
And number two, build into your friendships. Because when hard times come, we're going to need people around us to love us and to be by our side. I just heard a podcast yesterday from a man being interviewed. A couple years ago, his son, an adult son, committed suicide. He had struggled his entire life with mental illness. He committed suicide, and this man said, that day was the most difficult, heart-wrenching day of my life. I didn't know how I was going to get through the day, let alone the rest of my life. Difficult situation. And he had been in the same small group with the same people for around 15 years. He said, that night, my small group moved into my house. They slept on my floor, slept in my hallway. They weren't there to preach at me. They weren't trying to necessarily encourage me. They were determined that I was not going to go through this adversity alone. For 15 years, he had poured into those friendships. And I want to challenge us, invest in friendships, invest in our faith. So when the hard times come, we've trained for it. Trained for the trial before it comes, before it comes. Verse 13, I have also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. So now he's going to give us a parable, an example of what he's talking about. And this is going to be the heart of our passage today. There was a little city with a few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. So what a siege is, is when a great army surrounds a city, and your goal is to starve them out. You're not letting food in, and you're not letting the sick go out. You're just waiting. It's a great way to win a battle without having to actually fight. You just wait them out. And so this city was under siege. Everyone's freaking out in the city. What are we going to do? All the loud politicians didn't know what to do. And we're going to see a wise man speaks up into this situation. Verse 15. But there was found in it, in the city, a poor wise man. And he, by his wisdom, delivered the city. He saved the city. And here's where we're going to get Solomon's frustration with this passage. Here's what he's trying to communicate to us. Yet no one remembered the poor man. This man saves the city, yet no one remembers him. Why? Because he wasn't real flashy. He didn't have power or influence. Kind of like that book that I ignored for nine years. It wasn't very flashy. The cover wasn't very attractive. In the same way, this man's poor. He, even though he saves the city, they see how important he was. As soon as it's saved, they push him back on the shelf. They ignore wisdom. And Solomon's really frustrated here. And instead, they give airtime to the loud, foolish leaders of the city. Verse 16, but I say that wisdom is better than might, though a poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. The words of a wise man in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Volume does not equal wisdom. Come on, somebody. 18. Wisdom is better than weapons of war. We just saw that explained. But one sinner destroys much good. He's saying wisdom is better than might, better than strength, better than foolishness. Oftentimes, a voice of wisdom is a quiet, unassuming voice. It's a book collecting dust on my shelf, crying out to me. And all the while, while I'm, those nine years, you know what I spent my time doing? I was reading other books that were pretty good too. But I also spent a lot of time on social media, spent a lot of time watching TV, watching movies, all kind of flashy things that drew me in. Well, a book of real insight, life-changing insight sat on my shelf. Wisdom cries out to us. 
And I think this is an important concept for all of us because we live in what's known as the age of information. There's a lot of material out there, a lot of voices, a lot of loud voices out there that are crying out for our attention while wisdom sits on the shelf. But in this story, despite the fact that the wise man saved the city, they push him aside. They sit him on the shelf. And it's a convicting parable for all of us, I think. As I wrote this sermon, everything I'm about to say was convicting for me. I'm preaching from a place of weakness today. Let me just tell you that on the front end as I get into this. Here's the point Solomon is making. Wisdom is to be prized over strength, over might. It's to be esteemed. It's to be valued. It's to be lifted up. And you might think, okay, um, of course I would choose wisdom over foolishness. I mean, no one chooses foolishness, right? If we were to have a show of hands, all of us think we don't choose foolish things, but I think we do as I think about it more and more as I process this text. I think oftentimes we choose what is foolish over what is wise. Here's just one example, all right? Wisdom says you make a certain amount of money, don't spend more money than you take in. Wisdom says invest wisely. It says give generously and don't spend more than you take, take in, more than you make. That's very wise counsel. All the parents said, amen. amen. Very wise advice. Classic, timeless advice. It's not going anywhere. It's going to be here till we die. Good advice. Good financial advice. But what do we do? I really, I really want the new iPhone 7, you know? I want that nice new shirt. I want that nice car. So I know that's what I probably should do. But foolishness is so much more attractive, isn't it? Come on. It's so much more attractive to us. That new car is calling out to me. I know I don't have the money, but man, I'm going to look good in it. It's not even a big issue, but that's just one example of ways that we choose foolishness over wisdom. Because sometimes wisdom can be boring. It can seem boring to us. It can seem boring to us. Like the book on my shelf, wisdom is seldom flashy, which is why we often ignore it. But Solomon's saying, wait a minute, guys, hold on. It's worth its weight in gold. It's to be esteemed. It's to be valued. He's telling us, go down to your office before you make these decisions. Pull wisdom off the shelf and apply it to your life. Now, there is a difference between examining wisdom and actually exercising it in our, in our daily life. There's a difference between observing it and applying it to our decisions. He's calling us to actually apply it. And we're a church. We're Bethel Church, Church of Theologians, right? We love theology. We love to think right about God. We want to know the Scripture rightly. And there's a real struggle with us, I think, how we're wired, what we enjoy. A struggle is to know the right information, but never let it actually connect with our daily life. To know what we should do on Sunday, but never do it on Monday, right? So we know the right answer. We know we shouldn't spend more money than we take in, yet we go spend more money than we take in. And my challenge for us today Incorporate wisdom into your daily life. Don't just know about it. Don't just hear about it on Sunday, but live it on Monday. So what is wisdom? Wisdom is good sense. It's good judgment. It is knowledge that is rightly applied to our lives. Wisdom is making decisions in line with God and his word. I like this one. Wisdom is acting in agreement with God. Wisdom is acting in agreement 
with God. Who has access to wisdom? Is it some exclusive club that only preachers on a stage can access wisdom? Of course not. Every person who can hear my voice, if you can hear my voice, say amen. amen. Every person who said amen or who was too shy to say amen, all of us have the same access to wisdom, but we don't all apply it, but we all have access to it. It is there, crying out to us. Solomon says in Proverbs, wisdom's crying out to us. It's available to us. So therefore, this message, the remaining few minutes, is for everybody. Every person in this room, this is going to apply to you and apply to all of us because we all need more wisdom. Think about this. The wisdom of God, our Creator, the wisdom of the ages is available to us. We have access to it. It's sitting on our shelf. Solomon says, take it off, dust it off, and incorporate it into your life. And imagine if we did that. Imagine how each one of our lives could change, how our relationships could change, how our workplace could change, how Crown Point could change if Bethel Church applied wisdom to all of our decisions. Let me just give you two quick examples. So I'm, I'm calling you to take wisdom off the shelf and apply it to your life, and that's just an idea, it's a concept. Let me give you two examples, super practical, all right? We're going to take it to the bottom shelf here. And these are two examples that are convicting for me. First one. Conflicts, in arguments or conflicts. Does anybody here ever deal with conflict or arguments? One honest person besides me? Sometimes I feel like I'm on an island up here. But yeah, conflicts, arguments. Let's say you get into an argument with your spouse or a family member. And you're yelling, she's yelling at you. There's some, some heated discussion there. Foolishness says, what this situation needs is for me to raise the volume a little bit and squash the individual, crush the individual. What the situation calls for is for me to bring up that thing from three years ago and throw it in his face. That's what this conversation needs. That's foolishness. Can I get an amen on that? Been there, done that. It's not a great idea. Foolishness says in an argument, you've got to win the argument at all costs. Despite the cost to the relationship, what's important is that I'm right. What's important is that I'm right. Come on. But wisdom speaks a different word. Let's, for a moment, in this situation, there's conflict. I know no one here deals with conflict besides me and you, but does anyone else here ever deal with conflict? Yeah. yeah. If you have conflict and you want to raise your voice, what does wisdom call us to do? Let's, for a second, take wisdom off the shelf Timeless truths of God. See what he says. Wisdom says, and this is good. As I wrote this, I'm like, ooh, this is so good. Preaching to myself. I have a little amen section in my office as I'm writing this stuff. So if no one else likes it, I at least enjoy it. <laughs> wisdom says the goal is not to win the argument, but to win the heart of your spouse or of your mother-in-law or of your mom. It's not to win the argument, but to win their heart. Come on, somebody. That's really good. Wisdom says, fight for the relationship instead of fighting for a personal victory at the expense of the relationship. Wisdom says, choose love over having to always be right. All the wives said, amen. Here's the thing. In the heat of the moment, uh, your emotions rise up. And we think rationally, we know these truths, 
But in the heat of the moment, we're driven by our emotions. And our emotions say, what this calls for is for me to vent my whole heart out to this person, to unload. Wisdom says, be calm, cool, and steady. Proverbs 29, 11. If you want a great verse, a great takeaway verse for today, write this one down, note it. Proverbs 29, 11. A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. A fool gives full vent to his spirit. He just unloads. She just tells it like she sees it. But a wise individual quietly holds back. And if you must speak, here's a great verse. You guys know this one. A soft answer turns away wrath. Wisdom says speak grace and love into the conversation. But here's my sermon today. We, we maybe know that, and you're hearing it today. I'm speaking and you're hearing it. But my challenge for you and for me is tomorrow or next week when that situation arises to not just know it, not just examine and observe that concept that God has for us, but to actually apply it to our life, to read it and apply it to our life. That's the call, to value wisdom so much that you don't just want to know about it, you don't just want to examine it, you want to exercise it. Exercise it. Here's an illustration. Now, if you've heard me speak before, one thing I like to do is I like to throw myself under the bus. So you guys ready for that? It's kind of my thing. I'm weird. Uh, saves me all this therapy. I can just kind of get it out right here. Um, true story. I was told some counsel by a very wise man. You might have heard of him. His name is Pastor Stephen J. DeWitt. And he came to me years ago, and he said, let me just give you a life hack. Let me give you a principle just to apply to your life. This is really good. And so I'm taking notes, you know. I was his administrative assistant for years, and I would just take notes. And he said, what you need to do, he said, uh, if you're ever mad at anybody, if there's ever tension or conflict, what you need to do is never address that person via email. Never address via email when you're frustrated, when you're angry, or don't text them. If you got to confront somebody, confront them in person. You can always encourage via text or email, always say nice, nice things via text or email, but never, never rebuke via email. So that's some insight. And when he said it, I said, ooh, that's really good. I made a note, and I took that little nugget of insight. <laughs> that's good. I, I acknowledge that truth, right? But here's what happened. A few years ago, this guy, oh, you know, he, he so frustrated me. I felt so it's like the situation was so unjust, and what it called for was a strongly worded email. So I wrote this literary masterpiece, this scathing rebuke, point by point. I'm breaking this guy down, putting him into submission. He will know the truth. I will give full vent to my spirit. Every letter, I am having such joy as I type this, like, yes, come on, somebody. I'm just, spent hours hours just putting this guy in his place. I mean, seriously, he had it coming. We know those people. He had it coming. And I'm just, oh, I spent half my day just gloriously crafting this masterpiece. All the while, true story, as I'm writing it, you know, as I said, emotion rises up. Rational thinking gets pushed aside. I'm emotional. I'm writing this. I remember Pastor Steve's advice. 
he's like, don't ever send a rebuke via email. I'll confront that person. I'm like, oh, I don't want to confront him. It's so much nicer to write it. So should I have sent the email? Who thinks I should send that email? What do you think? Show of hands. A few in the back. Who thinks I should not send that email? Who thinks I sent that email? Raise your hand. <laughs> I sent it! <laughs> and it was out there, and it's a huge mistake. And I knew the advice. I just never took that wisdom off the shelf in that situation. I was so emotional. I knew better. And that's my call, is not just to know about wisdom, not just to know the scriptures, but to actually like apply them to our lives. That's what he's calling us to. I could have saved myself a lot of embarrassment, but I gained a good sermon illustration from it, so it's a a win. But do you see how if we could apply wisdom, that's just one example. There are so many examples. Here's one more. Dating. Is anybody in this room dating? Like no one's dating. There we go. Who wants to be dating? Guys, take note. I'm hooking you up. If you are dating or ever want to date, uh, let me tell you about a rookie mistake, all right? Rookie move, common mistake we make. You know, if you, if you grew up in church, you know God needs to be number one, right? God's number one. If that's wrong, uh, if that's not in order, things get really dysfunctional really quickly. You were here last week. If you were here last week, Pastor Steve talked about taking secondary things and making them first things. It's a great way to end up unhappy and frustrated because you're putting this person on a pedestal. They can never meet that standard. They can't be your Jesus. They aren't equipped. We're all messed up. We can be no one's Messiah, right? That's really good advice. But here's what happens. You might know that. That might be a little wisdom on your shelf. I made a note last week when Pastor Steve said that. That's really good. But a year from now, somebody in this room is going to get a boyfriend or girlfriend, and emotions are going to take over And you'll be so tempted to make that person the center of your world. You'll step away from friendships, step away from community, step away from church, and get all consumed with that person. That's foolishness. Here's wisdom. Wisdom says relationships are for companionship, not completion. Relationships are for companionship. That person can't complete you. And when we think that and we put that on an individual... It's way too much for them to handle. We're frustrated with them, and they get crushed by the weight of that expectation. They can't meet it. That's a role only God is designed to fill. That person's your companion in this journey, in this pursuit of Jesus. We often make that relationship the end-all, be-all, the purpose of our life, but there's a greater purpose. It's Jesus. It's this amazing pursuit of Jesus. And you may agree with that, like, yeah, that's really good advice, But my call is a year from now, when it's your turn, when he's super attractive and seems like he loves Jesus so much, and he shows up to your Bible study and you're so excited about him, to not forget this advice. Relationships are for companionship, not completion. Companionship, not completion. So the call is today to not just acknowledge wisdom, not just acknowledge biblical truth, but to actually apply it. And wisdom speaks to so many areas, child-rearing, marriage, when someone's difficult to work with. I threw that, that one out for my coworkers. <laughs> wisdom applies to all of it. And that's just two examples, conflict and dating. 
Wisdom is so important because our decisions matter. They can cripple us or they can catapult us to our destiny. They can haunt us or they can help us. And Solomon is calling us to value wisdom, to see the importance of wisdom, to esteem wisdom. Wisdom is greater than strength. Wisdom is greater than foolishness. And going back to that story I told about the man who saved the city, you guys remember him? That was like 15 minutes ago. Poor man, unassuming man. In the story, this man was not the savior that the village was expecting. He didn't look like what they expected him to look like, so they put him on the shelf. Remember that? Kind of reminds me of somebody else. A savior we weren't expecting The people in Jesus' day wanted a man to come in strength and might with a giant army. Here comes a man laying down his strength. We wanted somebody that's going to go take lives in the name of God. Here's someone who gave his life for us. We want a warrior on a chariot, and he comes in riding a donkey. And it looks like foolishness, so much so that we put it on a shelf. And there's someone in this room today, God is calling you to take Jesus off the shelf in your life, apply him to your life. And how do you do that? It's called faith. You have access to the gospel. You've probably heard it before. Here's the gospel. It's the good news that Jesus Christ came. He lived a sinless life for 33 years. He died on the cross in your place for your sins. As he's dying, he's taking your sins upon himself, and he gives you his record of righteousness and perfection. And he's in the grave for three days, and then up from the grave, he arose, he ascended up to heaven, and one day he's coming back, church. That's what's known as the gospel. It's this good news. It's a timeless truth. We all have access to it. We're in America. You've heard it before. But a lot of us, it sits on our shelf. We never actually apply it. And those that do, are we not blessed beyond measure? I don't know how you endure hard times or difficulty without Jesus. It doesn't make sense to me. And I want to call you, if you're here, if you've never once trusted Jesus, take him off the shelf and apply him to your life. Believe in him. It's called faith. Faith is where you put your trust in him. You put all your eggs in that basket. You say, maybe I'm a good person, maybe I'm a bad person. That's not the discussion right now. What we're talking about is faith. You cling to Jesus alone. The ultimate expression of the wisdom of God is this man named Jesus. And I want to call each of us for the first time or for another time to take him off the shelf of our lives. You know, we are a church And kind of our battle cry is that we want to live lives that are all about him, all about Jesus. And it's really easy to say that, right? Super easy to say. I can speak it right now. It's a whole nother thing to go home and live it. Easy to acknowledge, oh yeah, Bethel Church, all about Jesus. But to actually forgive as he has forgiven us. To love as he's loved us, to apply him and let him transform our lives. And when we do that, we are being molded into the image and the likeness of Jesus. We are stepping into the purpose and the destiny that God has for us. It's this amazing thing called Christian growth. And it happens when we don't just have head knowledge. Pharisees had head knowledge, and Jesus wasn't too fond of them. But to apply those truths, apply those principles to our lives, 
That's the call today. Let me just tell you one final story and I'll be done. I heard a story recently about a police dog, a beautiful dog, and this dog specialized in high-speed chases. And they would let it loose and she would run and track down the bad guys. One day in the line of duty at an intersection, a car ran over the dog and crushed the back legs of the dog. It ran over the back half. And the dog lived, but for the remainder of her life, she could not walk properly. She would flail her front legs in front and drag the back legs behind. Flail the front legs in front, drag the back legs behind. It was a pitiful sight. Flailing the front legs in front and dragging the back legs behind. And what makes the story interesting is that at the time of the accident, the dog was pregnant. She was pregnant and she had little puppies. And a little while later, she gave birth to these puppies and the good news is they were all perfectly fine. The accident missed them completely healthy puppies, all of them with perfect legs, perfect bodies. But do you know how they began to walk? They would flail their front legs in front and drag the back legs behind. Flail the front legs in front and drag the back legs behind. And the vet was having the hardest time to try and communicate with them and get through to them and say to them, you don't have to walk that way. You were made to walk. You were made to run. God has a plan for your life that is so much bigger than flailing around on the ground. But see, they were only mimicking the dysfunction that was modeled to them. That's all they knew. That's all they knew. And there's some people in this room Maybe no one in your life has ever taken wisdom and applied it. Maybe you've never seen wisdom lived out. And we're all just mimicking the dysfunction that's been modeled to us. And I want to call us to something better. Call us to God's way. God wants you to get up. Touch your neighbor say, get up. Walk. Run the race he has set before you. We don't have to live in dysfunction. Our relationships don't have to be dysfunctional. Our lives can be in accordance with God. They can be awesome and God-glorifying. We don't have to flail around our legs. Starting today, I pray every person in this room, we would leave here changed, ready to go home and bring wisdom to bear in all of our situations, in all of our relationships, in all of our decisions. I believe today is the day it, it, it ends the dysfunction ends for our church, for our relationships, for my life, for your life. I believe God is calling us to no longer flail our legs, but to get up, to walk the path he has set before us, to run as he has intended us to run, starting now. And we do so by applying the truth he's already given us. We don't need more insight. We need more application. If you believe it, can you say amen? Amen. 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 Let's pray.